State Senator Jamila Nasheed has beaten a lot of formidable candidates in her state legislative career. And in March, she may face her biggest challenge yet, beating three other contenders for the Board of Aldermen presidency. The St. Louis Democrat joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. Well, we want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Rachel Lipman. And joining us for the record-tying fifth time... Senator Jamila Nasheed. You get, when you join the Five Timers Club, it, you get on airplanes quicker. Did you know that? Oh, that's great to know. Wait a minute. That I didn't, didn't happen. That. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been on more than five times, and I have not gotten on airplanes quicker. Do you know that I'm, I'm totally lying right now? I'm calling fake news on you here, Jason. You, you probably should. Totally fake news. So, <laughs> so, Senator, why did you decide to run for this office? Most of your experience is in the state legislative realm, but I do know from talking with you that you've been interested in city politics for a very long time. Over uh, two decades now. I'm running for president of the Board of Aldermen, uh, Jason, because simply this city is not working for everyone. We have a lot of things that are happening and that's working well. If you look south of Del Mar, you see a lot of growth and cultivation. You see a lot of development along the central corridors. You would see a lot of development, Tower Grove East, Tower Grove West, a lot of gentrification there. But when you go north of Del Mar, all you see is vacant and abandoned buildings, block after block after block. Children walking up and down the street, and all they see is hopelessness. So what I want to be able to do is make this city work for everyone across neighborhoods, no matter the zip code. And I don't think that we have that in the current president of the Board of Aldermen now. So the Board of Aldermen president, actually, its role is pretty limited. If you look at the charter, it just says it's the presiding officer of the meetings. Um, how are you as board president going to kind of use what the role has essentially become to make the city work for everyone? And that's a fantastic question, Rachel. Uh, the president of the Board of Aldermen holds two positions, okay? You have the legislative position and the executive position, which is the Board of ENA, in my opinion. Okay, when you are on the president of the Board of Aldermen, that's a bully pulpit for you to be able to advocate for individual needs across this city. And you are also that one person that oversees the legislative body. So you have to work on behalf of the Board of Aldermen, men and women there when their voices are not being heard. Okay, and let me give you a case in point. If I was the president of the Board of Aldermen, and let's say someone from the third ward called me, like the Bosley, and he said, you know, I've been trying to reach out to the different departments under the mayor's control, may it be the refuge or streets department, and I'm not getting any response. 
Me as the pre president of the Board of Aldermen would be that mouthpiece for many of the aldermen that are not being heard when it comes to the different departments and the mayor's uh, office because I work for them at that point and I have to work for them on the board of ENA. I think this is another question that may seem simple, but I think is kind of the key focus of this race. Why is the incumbent Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed not doing a good job and doesn't deserve another term? Well, I just told you, when you have a city where things are happening on the south side and some things are not happening north and this city is not equitable across neighborhoods, that's a problem. You know, and again, I believe that the president of the Board of Aldermen has a bully pulpit to make things happen when it comes to every neighborhood, no matter the zip code. So give me an example of an area you mentioned, um, you know, advocating for aldermen if the executive branch departments, refuse streets, et cetera, aren't working the way they should. Um and give us an area, of, you know, a, a platform, an area where you also plan to use that bully pulpit, you know, with the mayor's office or with, you know, other um, how you plan to use that bully pulpit. Uh, and thanks for asking me that. So right now, the, cl the only claim of fame that president of the Board of Aldermen, Lewis Reed, is, you know, talking about is a non-binding resolution that he pushed pertaining to uh, the soccer, the soccer stadium. OK. And that was a couple of weeks ago. Now, if I was the president of the Board of Aldermen, we wouldn't have only had a non-binding resolution. We would have had in that non-binding resolution a community benefit agreement concept. OK, because I don't have a problem with bringing more revenue to the city. I don't have a problem with a soccer stadium. I don't have a problem with any of those things. However, when you have the opportunity to get something for the community and you're not doing that, that's a problem when it comes to effective leadership. Now, Nashville did it. Nashville said, we're going to build a new stadium. And they did just that. And Lewis talked about all of the great things that was going to happen as a result of building the stadium. Oh, we're going to have new revenue coming in by way of uh, hotels. We're going to have new revenue coming in by way of um, Food, people going to restaurants. Well, they did the same thing in Nashville. But guess what? They also added a community benefit agreement to it. Okay? And that community benefit benefited the community. $15 an hour. Uh, early childhood center. Low-income housing. So those are the type of things that public and that private partnership, you don't just give everything away without receiving anything in return for the community. So to play devil's advocate, though, um, a lot of people would argue that the Taylor family, which controls Enterprise, has a pretty solid track record of actually following through on a lot of community service commitments. They've donated a lot of money to St. Louis public school system. Um, I think that after this occurred, the soccer stadium, mm -hmm. I think that they at least alluded to the fact that they may help with soccer programs at SLPS, which could free up money for other things there. So what, do you not have confidence that the Taylor family are going to be the good stewards and may agree with this after they get a team? Listen, I don't have a problem with, you know, the Taylor family. I have a problem with leadership that's not working in the best interest of the people that elected them. 
Now, the Taylor family, they've done, they've done some great things. But guess what? They're also a part of the prison industrial complex, too. <laughs> Where, you know, young men and women that you're talking about that they help, they're profiting off, off, off the fact that their parents are incarcerated. I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room here. We're, we're probably two weeks away from Better Together releasing their uh, report or plan about merging the city and a city of St. Louis and St. Louis County. Uh, we don't know what the final details are, but every indication from reading other source, uh, sources like the St. Louis Business Journal, the Post-Dispatch, and from talking with people is that the city of St. Louis won't exist after this and that this entire race for the Board of Aldermen may just be kind of an exercise in philosophy and then you, you're, this position is going to disappear after this. H have you talked with Better Together about about the fact that there may not be a St. Louis city after 2022 or 2020, first of all? No, I have not. And that's, and that's, a, that's a very serious problem. When you're talking about dismantling a whole city and a county, and you're not talking to any of the elected officials with just a few who only think as you think, then that, that's a serious problem. And the one problem that I have is this here. We in the city of St. Louis, we are tired of outstate dictating to us what we should and shouldn't do when it comes to the city of St. Louis. We are a home rule and we should be ruling our own home. I, I am not for the outstate voting on if we should consolidate in the state statute right now as it stands, we have the mechanisms the to Missouri Constitution. I'm sorry, yes. the, the Constitution. That's that board of freeholders that and, you like And to somebody talk told about. me that the part of that was declared unconstitutional. I think it was because it, it required like a, like a landowner to be on that. But I think that the process is still there. I in think the it's going to end up in court anyway. But yeah, the, pro yeah the, the Constitution basically gives us the blueprint to consolidate. Mm -hmm. So let me play a clip now from Mayor Lida Krusen. She was on St. Louis on the air, asked about the prospect of a statewide vote. This is her entire response and her conversation with St. Louis on the air host Don Marsh. I think the way I understand it, what's being proposed is a new type of county, one that doesn't exist in the state constitution as it is now. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be a statewide vote. That's as I understand it. A statewide vote is how the city of St. Louis got control of its police department. It's how we got home rule. Um, it's, it's how we do a number of things because we live in the state of Missouri and we live under the constitution of the state of Missouri. So in order for us to be able to combine police departments and municipal courts, there has to be a new type of city, county, and that requires a statewide vote. Mm -hmm. I understand the concerns about that. Um, but I think that, you know, we have to do a statewide vote. And then in the way I look at it is I certainly would be very, um, encouraged if the city voters and the county voters were, uh, also in favor of it. Which brings to mind the potential scenario for having a statewide vote and having it determined that either the city or the county or both voted against it. And yet it's still passed. Anything is possible, and that is a possibility. But I think it's our job to um, explain this to folks, explain what it will be like afterwards. And, uh, you know, the vote is a long ways away. I think it's 20 months away or mm -hmm. maybe maybe longer. Maybe it's 22 months away. It's a long time away. We're going to have a lot of time to talk about this. Um, 
but you know there are things that have to be created by a statewide vote. So that's a very similar response to what St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger told me. He believes that there has to be a statewide vote, not that you know that that's optional. What before I drill down that question more, what's your response to the mayor's uh, statement? Well, I like the mayor. I just think that she is too far in the pocket of Rex because everything Rex push, she supports. And I don't think everything he push, I don't think it's good. However, the Constitution, uh, uh, Section 30, Article 6, gives us the uh, opportunity to consolidate, okay? We already have that. What I'm looking to do and what I just did Thursday was I filed uh, a bill to reaffirm our Constitution that the only way there could be a consolidation is by way of the people here in the city and the county. And I don't think that the outstate is going to go for it, though, because the outstate, they are upset as well when it comes to local control. And the formers are basically saying that they are, their local control has been stripped away from them. So I don't think that they're going to go for it. Is there a scenario or a concept or a plan that it, let's do this as a two part question. If this is this strategy of this, you know, mega government, city, county, Unigov, whatever, was produced by the Board of Freeholders. Would you support the concept as it's outlined, not the statewide vote necessarily, but the kind of merger uh, as a concept as it's outlined? What, you know, regardless of the statewide vote aspect of it. Well, no, no, I'm not saying that. Okay, I, I have to be able to see what it looks like. I cannot just say to you, I, you know, I'm for something that I've never seen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's like oxymoron. Yeah. So, so what would I mean in in your ideal world? What would a city county joiner look like? So I think we're going too far to be talking about a city county merger, consolidation. I think that we should begin to talk about collaboration because collaboration is easy. It's easy for us to get with the county and collaborate when it comes to the different departments you know, the economic development we've Is already it, done. Have you re- read the St. Louis Post-Dispatch article about how the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership basically blocked out the city and focused all their attention on the county? That's because we have lo- poor leadership in the city. We need leadership that's going to stand up and be bold and work on behalf of the city residents here in the city. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I think the SL the Economic Development Partnership language is actually written that eleven of the members are county appointees and four are the city. Yeah. So I would have never uh, approved of that. I would have never approved that deal. I do have to ask this question because you brought up Rex Sinkfeld, and I, I'm a person that gets kind of annoyed by kind of some of the double standards around Rex's donations. For example, you know, people like Chris Coster after he became a Democrat and Joe Kevney and Mayor Slay you know, rarely got criticized by the political powers that be for taking money from Rex, whereas you, Rodney Hubbard, other black politicians get criticized maybe 10 times more than you should. 
But the fact remains is you have taken a lot of money from Rex Sinkfeld in the past. You worked on his effort to try to eliminate the Recorder of Deeds office. No, that was my effort. That Well, he funded that effort. Well, I, I, I said if you want to do something, then if you want to do something, then if you were to really help the city of St. Louis, let's help us get body cameras. Okay. But my okay? point is— And body cameras were, was a part of the Ferguson Commission. Okay. It no, was a it recommendation. I mean, not, not the Ferguson Commission. It was a recommendation. Uh, of, of the uh, reports that came out of the Ferguson Commission. I, I don't think body cameras were on in the Ferguson Commission. They were definitely in the consent decree. I'm I don't sorry. know about yeah, this the consent decree. Okay. I'm sorry. Commission. Okay, fair. I just want to make sure that's accurate. But my point for bringing that up is, you know, I understand that you've been against Rex on, on this and other issues, but people are going to say, since you've been on his side in the past and you've taken his donations, how can you be a fierce warrior against his agenda, which will kind of parlay into uh, the airport next. Too. I've always, I mean, listen, 2013 Rex um, affiliates, they gave me campaign contributions, okay? However, fast forward, one of Rex's biggest agenda items here in the city of St. Louis, I was opposed to, to the tune of spending approximately $12,000 against tax. him the earnings tax on situation. black radio. Uh, the earnings tax. Situation. Correct. Okay. So you can't say that Senator Nasheed is in the pocket of Rex. Now, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to be too far to the left or too far to the right, mm -hmm. that you have to find a middle course. And that's why I have been able to be effective on the state level under the control of the Republican House, Senate, and Governor's Mansion to the tune where I brought in $28 million, passed over 21 pieces of legislation. And it's because... I'm not an extremist. Now, if we can find common cause, commonalities that's going to benefit this city, let's work together. But if I don't agree with you, you're going to know I don't agree with you. Given the the kind of political track, or at least the voices that are starting to gain power in political uh, in political circles in the city that do tend to go a little bit more progressive left, et cetera, is that middle ground, do you think, the best way to, to work in the city of St. Louis now? Or I think that that's how you get things done. You know, I don't think that... I don't think that you have to ever be too extremism is bad. Ex excess of anything is too is bad. And that's how I believe. Mm -hmm. And I believe that. And right now, after they decided that they want didn't want people to have a right to vote on the airport. I just said yesterday, as a result of their move, if it hits my desk and, it, and, and the people don't have the right to vote on privatizing the airport, I'm not going to support it. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the general idea of, of airport? I mean, it's called airport privatization, but it's leasing the airport to a private operator. I know that the process isn't done yet, but it's a controversial process, obviously. Controversial concept. Co po controversial yeah. concept. What do you think of the general idea of airport privatization? Well, you know, back, I think it was back in 1993. <laughs> Someone can, can correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, they created a pilot po program, the FAA, for approximately five uh, airports to be able to see if it works or not, okay? Well, up till this day, everyone that tr tried to implement it or that filled out application, approximately seven of them, all of them converted back and decided that they didn't want to privatize. I think Midway went through it twice or something. They got two so, sort of different deals and decided and decided not to take either one of those options. Yeah. So my problem is this here. You, you haven't shown the people 
what it will look like. You haven't said to the people, this is how much money we would generate in this city as a result of it. We would call to, I mean, we would, the infrastructure would be great along the highways or what. We haven't seen anything. And they're asking us to support something that we haven't even seen. I don't think, I don't know that it's necessarily, I mean, what would have to be in a deal, in an airport privatization, lease agreement, et cetera, in the city for you as Board of Aldermen president to support it, to shepherd it through the Board of Aldermen, to support it at ENA? Collective bargaining. We have to protect the unions, workers. Uh, no layoffs. We, uh, if we're going to, the, we don't, we don't have a lot of flights, direct flights, more of direct flights, <coughs> four or five billion dollars at the top of the table, pay off all of our debt. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that sounds good to me. Well, well I want to bring up another, <laughs> I want to bring up a question about the public vote because somebody who's involved with this process pointed this out to me, which actually makes a lot of sense. Because there have been so many white aldermen who have come out so strongly against any sense of airport privatization, it gives the Black Caucus enormous leverage to basically direct and dictate where the proceeds from this process go, which I haven't talked to people like Alderman Muhammad or Alderman uh, Middlebrook or anybody else, but... I mean, they could be in the driver's seat and they could basically say, we're not going to vote for this unless you direct all this money to the north side or you direct all this money to tear down vacant buildings or you build more roads in my ward. So I want you to respond to that because that may seem like actually a pretty good strategy to not have a public vote on this. So I'd like to hear your take on I, that. I, I believe that, you know, we live in a democracy and the, the that it's airport is owned and by the taxpayers, okay? The problem that I'm having and the problem that many people are having right now in the city of St. Louis is this here. The process was tainted in the beginning. When you have the former mayor uh, pushing to privatize the airport and allowing for Rex Singfield to be the one paying for the application, okay? And the application gets approved. And from there, now the process begins to go after the RFQ, okay? Create the RFQ. And that RFQ is now created, and the RFP will now be created by the very affiliates of Rex. They are overseeing it now. Right, because of the way the contract is, there was only one person, one group that responded. It's that fly, sort of fly 314 group and consultants connected to it. Right, and so here you have all of those individuals that are totally connected to Rex, pushing the process. I mean, and then you have the mayor and eight, 16 consultant firms making over $800,000 a month. Something's wrong with that picture. Well, I have to bring this up, though. In 2013, you supported Mayor Slay. I think you actually worked on his campaign. Do and that's fine. Do you, I, don't, do you, I don't have a problem do you, do you with re that. Do you regret doing that, given what he did with the airport privatization? No, I, don't have a I don't have a problem with saying that I supported Slay. Mm -hmm. Because Slay and I, we've got a lot done collectively together. If it wasn't but for my relationship with Slay, guess what? What? Vanderventer placed at a new senior facility wouldn't be on Martin Luther King at penalty. We work collectively together to make that happen. 
we work collectively together to make sure that low-income housing tax credits, brownfield tax credits, were protected on the state level. You know, so we've worked together. I'm the senator. I have to work with individuals that work with me, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's one thing about people that they don't really get about me is that I am very pragmatic. I was just going to bring that up because I think that's going to be the thing that your opponents are going to attack you on the most. I followed your career from the moment you started in the House to this point, and I think that when you were in the House and you were in the minority, I think you had to work with Republicans to get anything done, and that brought some criticism. When you were in the Senate, I think you adjusted your strategy because you have a lot more power now with the filibuster, and you actually got to move a little bit to, to the left. We actually talked about this right when you were entering the Senate. That's right. But I think that what's the, one of the downsides of being in the legislature, and frankly, you know, it's going to be a downside of President Reid and Megan Green, too. You all have voting records. They're going to point to a lot of different things, and they're going to say, you voted with Republicans on this. You're not actually progressive. You sold St. Louis out. I want you to preemptively respond to that because I think that's going to be the basis of the attack that both Reed and Megan Green are going to going to lob at you over the next few months. Yeah, they're going to they're going to say, hey, she voted with Republicans to do this, to do that. Some of them, some of it's going to be all lies, you know, because what they don't know is how things work on the state level. OK, but what I can tell you this here. I have been serving in the House for six years, Senate for six years. I am the most effective Democrat in the city of St. Louis when it comes to getting things done. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I have brought approximately, I've served on the budget that oversees $28 billion. I have brought $28 million home for reentry programs, math and science tutoring programs, uh, jobs, summer job programs, uh, skill up programs, you know, so they can say, well, you voted the way this way and you voted that way. What people want and what people need now more than ever before is a very bold, effective leader that is going to change the image of this city. And right now we don't have that. Working with the, the mayor as the state senator or the state representative is going to be different than as the board of aldermen president. How do you see your relationship with, with Mayor Krusen being different or maybe similar um, as board of aldermen president than you were as a state senator? And not only Mayor Krusen, Comptroller Green, Comptroller too, Green. because she has just as much power on mm -hmm. ENA as the board of aldermen president and the mayor. So I'd like to answer that. Surely, if I can get things done with 34 senators, 160 state reps, I can get things done on a state level. Surely I can get things done on a local level with two people on the board of ENA. I want to talk about education policy. I understand that municipal officials don't have direct control over uh, SLPS, um, but you know, as of now, because there's special administrative board still exists, you would get to appoint somebody to that three-person board if it still exists by the time you are sworn in. It may or may not be. Um, how would you want to use the bully pulpit with your office to try to change education policy? You know, we've talked one-on-one -on -one about this. I moved out of the city of St. Louis because the special education resources at SLPS were inadequate compared to the county. You know, I've told a lot of legislators about this, and I know I'm not the only person. And I know a lot of people leave the city of St. Louis because they don't have confidence in SLPS to educate their children. 
So what are you going to do to turn that around as Board of Aldermen president, even though I understand your powers are limited? Well, my powers are not that limited because I still have a long reach uh, in Jefferson City. Jefferson City. Uh, but I want to be able to use the bully pulpit to be able to cultivate public and private rela uh, relationships, you know, for those individuals like civic progress, get them more involved in uh, the educational system by way of after school programs, tutoring programs. We have children that are graduating from the kindergarten to the 12th grade not knowing how to read on the third grade level. They're not even, even equipped to be able to compete coming out of high school with jobs that are created in cortex because they're below proficiency in every, every subject. Not all of them, but many of them are. And we have to begin to understand if we don't educate them, we're going to incarcerate them. There's no in-between. Education and jobs is the two mechanisms that will end poverty. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to be able to do is allow for that bully pulpit that I will have I want to be able to cultivate public and private rela relationships for the betterment of children that are impoverished and living in, in, the, in St. Louis and going to school within the public school system. I want to go back to something you said about having that long reach in Jefferson City. You'll obviously have, <laughs> uh, depending on when this election goes, 12 to 13 years of experience working in Jefferson City. How do you think that that could help you be a more effective president to the Board of Aldermen? A lot of things, uh, a lot of funding that we receive comes from the feds in the state. And so if I have the relationships now, I will continue to have those relationships when I'm back home. And so I can go up there and I can lobby for the city of St. Louis and say these are the things that we need because I have the relationship. But going back to what you said in terms of progressive and moderate, if you go look at my record, truly look at my record, everything about progressives I have been fighting for for the last two, 20 years. All right, when you talk about minimum wage, reproductive rights for women, okay, all of those things. Now, I was the one in the Netflix video for uh, pro-choice and reproductive rights. So I've been fighting those issues for a long time, standing up filibustering to protect women's right to choose, filibustering for unions to continue to collectively bargain and have, and have their unions up and strong here in the state of Missouri. Mm -hmm. Those are issues that I have always fought for. I'm going to ask this question to all three candidates, and admittedly, because my son is in the special school district, it may come off as a self-interested question. That's my disclosure. Do you believe that SLPS and city voters should join the special school district? Oh, absolutely. Can you explain why? Because I don't, th I think we're losing a lot, like yourself. You moved because we didn't have a special school district for your son to go to. How many other people are out there like you that would be great here? You would be great living here as a resident because your voice is powerful and you can get things done as well. We, ha we have people that are leaving this city because we don't have that special school district. And I think that we should be able to have a lot of different options for individuals who want to raise children in the city of St. Louis. 
Well, I want to talk about the upcoming campaign because, again, I've followed your political career for a long time. You have very sharp political instincts. You have run in very challenging races before. 2006, you beat Sharon Tyus. 2008, you beat Kim Gardner. 2012, you beat Robin Wright Jones and Jeanette Mott Oxford. You won re-election handily. So it's pretty clear you're good at winning elections. I don't think anyone would take that away from you. And I think you're also a pretty strong political strategist. But when you look at the map, um, I think it's it's a it, it frankly is a bit of a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. You know, Lewis Reed won some wards when she, he ran for mayor in, on the north side, and he's from the south side. Um, Megan Green is probably going to have some strong support in places like the 15th and the 8th ward and she'll possibly get the, the she'll, get the, she'll get the uh, the park wards. I call them the park wards, and, the ones around Tower Grove. And, um, you know, I know that you've represented about half the city of St. Louis, but the other half, which, inclined, which includes the southwest side where I used to live, which actually is probably one of the biggest voting blocks, I think it's completely up for grabs, but they may gravitate toward a more establishment person like Reed rather than you or Megan Green. So this is a long-winded way of asking, what is your strategy for winning? How do you think that you're going to beat your other two opponents that, whether you may disagree with them on policy, they too have had electoral success? And how are you going to come out on top? What electoral success have they had? Well, let's see. Megan, Megan Green won what three, three or four elections, elections in, in a row? Fourteen months, I think. Um, three months. You know, and that's and just Lewis the, is Lewis has won citywide since two thousand seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. So, and, so, and there were but el- his numbers are going down though. Okay, he's still winning. He's, but his numbers are going down. Uh, he's lost how many races? Four already. Two. Two. Two okay. for mayor. He yeah. lost for mayor. So, so I have been serving for twelve years, right, on the state level. So half of the city. Right now, I have a constituency base. Megan has a constituency base in one part of the city, and that's the 15th ward. So my name ID is much stronger than than, than Megan's will ever be, okay? In order to win races, you have to have what I call the three M's, the money, the message, and the machine, okay? And I don't believe... I believe that they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Because if you're running a citywide race, and I'm not going to give you my whole strategy online. Oh, darn. <laughs> but if you're running, yeah, we thought we if had you're running, If you're running a citywide race, you have to be able to get your message out there. One mailer can cost you $15,000. And you have, what, about three hundred grand on hand, At by least. the way? At least. Maybe yeah. even more. Because you had a lot in the bank. You were able to transfer it. I think it was 400th something the last time yeah. I checked, and that was You were able to basically day. transfer your money to a municipal account before that basically became unallowable, essentially, Correct. which gives you a pretty decent advantage to do all the organizational stuff you're about to talk about, basically. So, so, so you have to have the money, the message, and the machine. Our machine and our ground game is really, really tight. We have reached approximately 40,000 people by way of mail, I mean, I'm sorry, by way of door knocking and by way of phone banking already. See, I'm jealous. I never get mailers We know, I vote. We, we, we haven't even started the mailers yet. Okay. We, we, we know our win number. We know what we have to do to run up the numbers north, neutralize in the central corridors, neutralize it because I don't have to win all of the wards. No. I just have to neutralize. But but going back to the South, (laughs) I want to go back to the Southwest side for a minute because one of the things that I have found actually pretty heartening, if you looked at the mayor's race or you look at Carla May, um, I think more and more of the very, very white wards in Southwest side are more 
open to voting for black candidates. Obviously, Carla May didn't win this award like the 16th Ward, but she got like 35, 40 percent, which is spectacular for a black candidate, basically. And I don't really see a lot of the Southwest side just going for Megan Green because she's white. I think it's actually up for grabs between all three of the candidates. Yeah, because they they have that same myth. Oh, Jamila is going to split the vote with with Robin Wright Jones uh, and because Jeanette matter, I mean Jeanette is in the race. I was off the ballot for two months straight. Yeah, off the ballot for two months, and still came back and won the race. People in this city right now, their biggest concern is crime, and the ineffectiveness that they are seeing at City Hall. Citizen service is very important to those citizens north and south. And so what they want is someone that's not going to be divisive, that is going to be able to bridge the gap across neighborhoods, and that that's, and that's going to figure out ways to reduce crime. Now, Lewis is coming with this ceasefire thing, not telling people that it's going to cost approximately $4 million. You know? But what we have right now is what you call the rectangle, and that is what Chief Hayden and Jimmy Edwards, they're pushing. The, the rectangle allows for the DEA to come in, the feds, and all collaboratively work together. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. But what's missing in that rectangle, and that's what I want to be able to push, are the social services that's needed in those areas where that the rectangle is because there's a lot of poverty. I think the chief would push back on that and point to uh, uh, James Clark's uh, anti-violence programs. Urban League has come in there with Save Our Sons. He would say, you know, that is the intent of these rectangles is you boost enforcement and the social services that go and help reduce the need for enforcement in there. Are you just not seeing that as adequately or? When I say rectangle, I I say social services and the what we call the two-generation approach. When you have a two-generation approach, what you do is you look at the child and the parent, and you try to, from a holistic standpoint, service both of their needs at the same time, okay? And, and that's what I mean when I say we need to add more social service concepts and methods inside that rectangle to make it happen and make this city uh, better for the overall city of St. Louis when it comes to reducing violence, okay? So uh, another political question, you got Tashara Jones's endorsement, and I think she holds a lot of sway, not only among African-American voters, but among Southside progressives as well. You look at the map that shows where her appeal is. Um, what what other, who, who else has come out for you and who who, what other organizations do you expect to help with your effort? Because I think we all know that some of these campaigns are a coalition effort and they can't be done alone. Who's going to be behind you um, in this next race? Well, I have a Chris Carter, senior. You have the committee woman in the 27, the committee woman, committee man in the 21st. A lot of community people that are well known and, and that's well connected. But what you, what you have to realize is this here, is that I have never ever had major coalitions or uh, committee people and all the people that was behind me when I ran the race. 
you know. I mean, when I ran against Sharon Tyus, I had no alderman supporting me in 2006. So what I do is I do what I know I have to do, and I have to have a strong ground game, mm -hmm. and I have to reach to people directly. Because a lot of people in those wards, they don't really listen to their their aldermen or their committee people because some of them feel like they're not doing nothing for them. Mm -hmm. And so when you go and you reach out to those individuals, that's how you gain their support and gain their vo votes, not by way of endorsements. Yeah. What do you think Congressman Clay does here? Because he endorsed Lewis Reed in 2017, but I think you, you two have had a decent relationship in the past. Do you think he stays neutral or do you think that he endorses somebody or do you think his I know he lives in University City now. He, he's, yeah. a, he's, he's a county resident. But there's no question his political machine is very effective. And if he actually endorses somebody and actually does the work for that candidate, it, it could make a difference in a close race. Have you heard anything from the congressman yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to endorse in this race or not. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have <laughs> to see. Any final thoughts about what? to expect over the next two or three months. I mean, this is a really important office. Even though I think that the charter scope is limited, you do have the opportunity mm -hmm. to do a lot of things. Um, if you could succinctly sum up why you think you're the best candidate and why you're running, this is your opportunity. I believe that I'm the best candidate because I have the experience. I am very effective. I know how to get things done. And I love this city. I was born and raised in this city. I grew up in this city, and I want this city to grow. I want this city to be on the map for doing innovative things and, and growing in a way that people want to come here, okay, even with startup hubs. I want to make sure that this city is a city that we love to live in and that we don't want outside people looking at it as a, having a bad image, okay? I want the aldermen down at the Board of Aldermen to have more power when it comes to the Board of ENA, and I want to work for those aldermen. And so that's why I'm running, because I love this city, I want this city to grow, and I believe that it can with a very effective leader like myself. 16 years is long enough. It's time for some bold leadership that's willing, ready, and able, and know how to get things done for the betterment of everyone in the city, not just North St. Louis, but the whole St. Louis. Well, Senator, we really appreciate your time, and I think we were able to cover a lot of ground. We're going to be following this race very closely because, as I mentioned before, it is the most important one on the city ballot in March. What, what is the election day, by the March way? March 5th. Yeah, that's kind of an important thing that people should yes. know. The so, primary election is March 5th, 2019. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At our Lipman, two P's, two N's. Follow the senator on Twitter at... Senator Nasheed. I'm still waking up, guys. It's early. I, you know what? <laughs> you, you, you were a ball of fire this morning. And until next time, so long. <laughs>